welcome. We're so happy you're here. I'm Pastor Danielle. If you've not come here to Spark before, we're so glad you're able to join us. Um, we are really excited. Next week, we'll be celebrating Spark's six-year anniversary, which is due in no small part to this friend of mine here, Rabbi Ari Carton. Uh, years ago, about six, about six, about six uh, Ari and I were talking and... He was asking me what we were about to do next and what we were thinking of. And I said, oh, I think we're probably going to start a church. And we were starting to talk about that. It was just right over there in that office. And he said, well, you know, you can meet here. And I was like, oh, that's nice. I'm sure he doesn't mean that. And then we kept talking. And then a few more minutes later, he said, Danielle, did you hear me? I was like, what? And he said, I said, you can hang your shingle here. I was like, oh, okay. And then I went in the parking lot and cried um, with deep gratitude, called Kevin. I can't believe he just offered. I would never do that to a group of crazy Christians and allow them to come and sit in here. And he offered. And so I was so deeply grateful. And we've been here ever since. Um, Eitz Chaim continues to be a wonderful partner for um, expressing the love of God into our community. And we're deeply grateful for all of that. And I am so thankful for... Ari, not just because he helped facilitate all of this, but also because he's a good friend. We have a lot of fun together. So Ari and I, for those of you who don't know, um, he's now the retired rabbi of, of Eitz Chaim, but he was the founding rabbi here. And now he's the rabbi emeritus, which means he just gets to, you know, do all the cool stuff you've always wanted to do with your time, right? Yep. Yep. And like including, this. like this, and including also uh, Ari and I do a podcast together. A rabbi and pastor walked in. And uh, that's always fun. So you can find that online. It's lots of fun. And we lead study tours to Israel for Jews and Christians. So we'll be hosting another one coming up for Eight Snicks and Sparkers as hopefully in the next year or two and all that other fun stuff. And Ari's family hosts my family and vice versa for lots of fun events. So we're really deeply grateful for all that. So we thought we'd invite Ari to come in this week and join us as we look at the book of Numbers and tackle Numbers chapter 15. And, and see what's happening next. So the title of our message tonight is Look, Remember, and Do from Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. Um, let's read the text. Does that sound good? Shall I do it? Yeah. All right. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites. Like that? Is that how God sounds? No. No. He speaks, <laughs> so it's in Hebrew, I know. Um, speak to the Israelites and tell them to make tzitzit on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue cord on the fringe, tzitzit, of each, at each corner. And when you have the tzitzit, so that when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and not follow the lust of your own heart and your own eyes. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and you shall be holy to your God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. There ends our reading. So what is a tzitzit? What are we talking about here, Ari? Well, first of all, it's a tzitzit. Tzitzit is a singular word. And it comes from a word, you know, see on the side there, tzitz. A tzitz is a blossom. Little next, the next Torah portion. So this, this story here is in the Torah portion of the scouts. And it ends the Torah portion of the scouts. The next one is the Torah portion of the revolt against Moses and Aaron. And that ends with the chosen blossom on the chosen staff showing that Aaron is the chosen Kohen priest. And it says, And and it gave birth to almonds and it blossomed to blossom. 
by its eight seats. And the blossom is the thing that's here right in the middle of the high priest's forehead. Now, you might call that a forehead plate because we don't have a word for that in English. That's how you get breastplate because we don't have a word for that in English either. It's a, it's a, and then so if I said you put a blossom, a golden blossom on his forehead, what would you make? Do you think? It, would look, <laughs> it would look different. But in any case, it's a plate and it says holy to God. Not W-H-O, but H-O-L-Y, holy. Holy, special to God. And then tzitzit is this. This is the way it looks now. It is the thing made out of strings, the thing string, thing strings thing, that we put on the corners, the uh, wings of our garment. And so I'll show you a little bit more about this in a minute, but that's what the word comes from. It's a blossom. Now, when we read our text, we translate, we sort of transliterated the Hebrew there for you in tzitzit because, um, like, there's what is it exactly? It's often translated as fringes or tassels, but we just transliterated it for you as tzitzit, singular, or tzitziot, plural, because we want to avoid the idea that already comes up in your head. Like, if I say fringe, you have an idea of what that looks like already in your head. Or if I say tassel, you might have an idea of what that looks like. But if we say tzitzit, then maybe we can kind of come up. Uh, the book of Ezekiel does say, he took me by the tzitzit of my head. Oh, so your head might have one. Like, what might that be? Is that like a lock of hair that comes down? How does that really work? Um, so today, as Rabbi, Sh- Rabbi Ari showed you on his own, uh, Talit Katan, that this is what they can look like wrapped today. So how did this... A Talit Katan is a little one. Katan, yeah. Talit Gadol is a big one. A big one, Gadol. I have blue on the big ones and not on the little ones because I wear the little ones under my shirt and the, the dye can stain shirts. So <laughs> it's just I, practical. Right. At this right. point, I haven't decided to do that. <laughs> so um, today... And this is, by the way, and, yeah. and not having a blue one is the standard today. Why, if it's supposed to have a blue one? Because that's not what it's supposed to have. It's to have one that's got a name of a dye. The dye is called techelet. There's a discussion as to what it is. Is it the gland of a snail that lives on the coast from Beirut south to Tel Aviv, or is it a indigo plant? And the answer is those two dyes are chemically the same, but traditionally it was made out of snails. But snails ain't kosher, you say. They don't have the little bitty cloven hooves, and they don't <laughs> chew the little bitty kuds. It's technically a shellfish. It's, it's, yeah, it's technically a shell, shell with a fish in it. But anyway, um, so the snail is not kosher, but you can, you, you're not eating it. <laughs> you're just killing thousands it. of them for a little bitty bit. Well, you've actually been farming indigo. So there is a movement among some people like me to say, I wouldn't touch a snail. I'd better or for worse, but I don't need to kill a thousand of them to make a talus. So anyway. Right. So how are they tied today? Like basically when all of this comes about early on, um, this commandment, you know, put these tzitzit on the corners of your garment. And we're going to talk about that. Um, what happens today in practice and Orthodox practice and in many reform practice. Right? Every place is always, that wears one. Right. Everyone that wears one. Uh, this is from your prayer book here. Yes. And so can you walk us through, like, what... This is the Talit Katan you were talking about on yes. the right-hand side. So you might wear under your clothes. This is where I'm wearing under my clothes. It's just a little poncho-type thing. And the blessing for putting this on is different than for putting a big one on. It's just, thank you, God, for commanding me to... About this particular commandment. I'll, get, I'll help you. Yeah. It's 
not easy. It's do. not easy to do with the mic. Right. Yeah, it's requiring so, some acrobatic portion yeah. for you. Yeah, there you go. Right. So the blessing there is, Baruch and I thank you, God, blessed you, God, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, our God, ruler of the universe, space, and time, Asher uh, Kitshanu, made us holy, consecrated us, B'mitzvotav, with commandments. A mitzvah is a command. So the things that we do that are uniquely Jewish are the things that make us uniquely Jewish. Right. Right. <laughs> but that's what it means to be holy in that kind of a way. What things that make you holy as a Christian are things that make you holy as a Christian. And so the things that make us holy as Jews are the things that make us holy as Jews. Right. And if we do them, then we attain a level of holiness which is unique to being Jewish. Not that the level is, be, is unique to being Jewish, but the way in which we achieve it is unique to being Jewish. So, and, and I would just note that that word, the connotation of holy, Ari, you can correct me, but it's a little bit of like being set apart, right? There's something holy, yep. set apart. So obviously right now in this room, Ari would be, of the two of us, the observant Jew, right? So he is... I would be the Jew, and whatever kind that comes after that, I'm still the only one. That's right. (laughs) The rabbi in the room. Which is why when we got to this portion in Numbers 15, I was like, let's have a a real rabbi who's, you know, a Jew come and put this on and not have me just tell you about it. A living audio-visual aid. A living audio-visual aid, right? Very... (laughs) Right. Not just because we love you, right? But we wanted you to come and teach us yourself. So... In this, then, Ari, as you have already done this, you're already set apart. You're, you know, as you live, as God's chosen people are given this command. And as the Israelites are, we've just read, right, the, the scouts were going to the land of Canaan. They looked at the land of Canaan. They're like, those people aren't like us. And God's like, yeah, right? And you're going to be different and set apart. And now he's going to, God's going to give them a commandment of how to even look different and set apart from everybody else. Just what we needed. Is it more <laughs> set apart? Just what we wanted. Just what we wanted, right. <laughs> Scare people even more. What's that costume anymore? Anyway, and the last line is, it's Ivan who commanding us, to envelop ourselves. The word is actually to mail, you know, to put something in an envelope or to package something for, um, for a gift. But tzitzit, to wrap yourself, to envelop yourself in tzitzit. And since I've said the blessing, I have to do this act with the big one. And you wrap yourself, and then you unwrap yourself, and then you put the wings on your wings. And so this I do with the big one. Now, because it always falls off, I use napkin rings to hold my wings. <laughs> so this is ring wing, wing wing, ring, ring wing. wing. That's right. Um, now, not, I've most had... people don't do that, and I have you know special ones that I bought in Jerusalem, but these I got at World Market. So <laughs> Anything will do as long as it'll attract a squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) And I've had friends who've studied uh, Second Temple Judaism and rabbinics who've suggested that when you grab that tallit, the prayer shawl, and you pull it in, that there's additional imagery of maybe talking about going into your prayer closet. So you remember that teaching of Jesus where he says, hey, if you're going to pray, don't go out and just pray on the street, you know, being known for your many words, but go into your prayer closet. You just saw Ari take a picture of what that might have looked like, right? To go inside and to pray and to focus. And there are people, so Rabbi Chaim, who is now the rabbi of this congregation after I retired, 
he does a traditional thing where he puts his talit over his head when he does the central prayer of the service. I do not do that. I get claustrophobia. It rubs on my hair. It pulls my yarmulke off. It does all kinds of nasty things that distract me from praying. So I just don't do it. I'd rather not fight the thing. That's why I don't fight these either. I'd rather wear napkin rings from Costco than to have my talit <laughs> fall off. I like it nice and simple. I want the inanimate objects to pretend that they're inanimate, at least for a short period of time, while they're on my shoulders. Thank you very much. <laughs> so that is an awesome picture of your burden is easy and light. Do you guys remember when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden, your burden is light. Like as you interpret Torah, rabbis are permitted to give different interpretations and practices, and this one's yours. We do it for sport, actually. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, it's an Olympic sport, yeah, right. <laughs> Jewish Olympic sport. Interpret, go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so to that end, then, can you tell us about the knots? How is it knotted, and what's the symbolism behind that, and where do you get tzitzit? And- okay, so we don't know how it was done 2,000 years ago. We just don't know. We, all we know is what people have been doing since the late Middle Ages, and that's what these things are. Um, they're basically almost all pretty much the same. There's a couple different ways to go about it, but the numbers are all the same. The first thing is that the word tzitzit is the word on the left of the slash in the middle. And those letters are, the first one is a tsh, and that's, that's worth 90 if you're playing Scrabble. Yeah, I was just no, going to no, say no, double, no, double, no. double number. Uh, we go, we have the first 10 letters are 1 through 10, and the next 10 letters are 20 through uh, 90 and then 100, 200, 300, 400, that's as far as it goes. But anyway, it goes Tsari, 90, you had 10. Tsari, 90, you had 10, that's 200. And then a Toph, which is 400, so that's 600. You keep the score? Okay, mm-hmm. we're at 600. Now, the next thing is you have four strands of string here, and you double them over, which in binary is eight. <laughs> no, anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> Hey, double them. That's not bad. Anyway, uh, so you have eight, eight strings. And you have five, one, two, three, four, five double knots, keeping them a bunch of coils separate. So you add those eight to the five, and you get 13 plus 600 is 613. And that is symbolically the total number of commandments in the Torah. Why are there 613? when Torah itself would be 615? Um, and the answer, uh, 611, excuse me. Um, the, 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 we don't know. I got it. But the rabbis decided to make lemonade out of lemons, and so they took 365 and said, that's how many things you're not allowed to do. And then they said, that's 248 left, and they supposedly f- took apart a dead slave's disintegrated body and counted the bones and they came up with 248. I, I'm not an, an uh, you know, I don't know for sure, but I know that that's not correct. But in any case, that's, that is, it's an important number in some kind of algebra, but it isn't important in the number of bones you have. But that became the number of bones and that became the number of positive commandments. Why? Here's the sermon. Something to avoid, 365, that is every day of the year, you got to make sure you, there's something, some temptation I have I shouldn't give in to. And there's something to do with every part of my body. I can enlist every single bone of my body into the service of God and doing good in the world and making it a better place to live in. 
248 things to do, 365 things to avoid. 613 commandments, that's how the number comes about. And that's encoded into the number of strings, eight, and the number of knots, five, and the number of the letters of the word tzitzit. Now you have, can go back one more thing. So there are seven wraps and eight wraps, 11 wraps and 13 wraps. Making you hungry for a burrito. (laughs) In any case, seven and eight is 15. 15 is 10 and five. This is very difficult mathematics here. A 10 is a yud, and a 5 is a hey. First two letters of God's name. 11 can be divided into a 6 and a 5. That's vav and a hey. The last two letters of God's name. The first two letters of God's name. last two letters of God's name, Adonai. And 13, as you know, is 1. Because <laughs> I don't think anybody knows that. Echad <laughs> is the Hebrew word for 1, echad. Aleph is a 1, it's the first letter. Chet is an 8, it's the 8th letter. Dalet. So four, it's the fourth letter, Echad, 13, eight, four, and one. Adonai, Echad. This is the last two words of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Adonai, our God, Adonai, is one. Adonai, one. So that is what every tzitzit says when you pick it up. There are 613 commandments, 248 to do with every part of your body, 365 not to do every day of the year, Leap years, I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> and that's the story of the tzitzit. Right. So like five knots could also be representing five books of Torah, four spaces, the holy name of God. So when you then look upon tzitzit, you can now visually remember all of God's commands. And if you'll recall again from our Numbers 15 passage, it's like tie these tzitzit onto the corners of your garment and when you look upon them, remember all that God has commanded you to do. Um, by the way, some early rabbinic sources indicate that tzitzit were also worn by women. Um, not, that's not typically the practice today, unless somebody's in a reform or more liberal context where women also were wear tzitzit or tali. There, right? um, there has been a slow degradation in ability for other people besides men to do things over the last couple thousand years. So the things that were permitted and sometimes even encouraged for women to do equally with men were slowly eroded. And so those got squeezed out of orthodoxy into new denominations that are more liberal. So there are traditional ends of that and there's liberal ends of that. Yeah, so it's interesting. We're kind of talking about did, did women also, were they also commanded to wear a tzitzit? And some rabbis said yes. Um, and wasn't it Judah Hanasi who made his, the women in his household wear them, right? He made his, uh, he made his uh, maids, the housekeepers, wear them in their aprons. Right. Even though they weren't Jewish. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. you should still remember, right? Well, so when But I he... should tell you, my wife does not wear a talit, nor do any of my four daughters. I don't have any sons. So we belonged also to a conservative congregation while I was working here. And... Um, and uh, they had all their bat mitzvahs in both congregations, uh, Friday evening here and Saturday morning there. And they got used to the fact that women, by and large, did not wear a kippah or a talit in that congregation. Some did. Many do. 
uh, even their best friend and godmother does, but uh, doesn't, you know, you grow up with what you're used to and some people can't wear it. Some people can't, some guys can't wear this because a girl would wear it. Some girls can't wear this because a guy would wear it. Some people don't wear it because they never did it when they were growing up. So you'll find in this congregation, some people do wear a kippah, some people don't wear a kippah, and you can't tell whether they will or they won't just by gender. Right, right. Um, so tell us then about kanaf. Where do we put these seats? See, we put them on the corners, but the word in Hebrew is wings. wings. So there are two uses of the word kanaf when we talk about the four wings. They're the four wings of your garment. And uh, Danielle was wearing kind of like a poncho thing today. <laughs> and so it had four different wings to it. Um, I thought, too bad. I'll, I'll change again. Yeah, go change. <laughs> um, but you can see that's what this is, what four wings of a poncho look like. But the other thing is that's mentioned the four wings of the world, which are the four directions or the four winds, or the four oceans, or whatever you want to think of it as, the four ways that people divide the world up. And so when they may want to say the world to its farthest four ends, that's what they say, the four wings of the world. So in any case, this is what you put it on. You put it on a wing. You put your blossom on a wing, and you thought it was a fringe on a shirt. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Okay. Right, right. It's not, it's not as clear-cut as just fringe or tassel on a corner. It's a tzitzit on a kanaf, on a wing. And this is, we might call Hebrew, um, it's a rich language, we might call it a poor language, and that it does not have as many vocabulary words as English does, for example. So many words will have more than one meaning and might have very different or distinct meanings. There this, are only 8,000 different verb stems in biblical Hebrew. That's it. That's not a whole heck of a lot. So when you see all that word choice in translations of the Bible, they're picking them out of them wherever they want to. Otherwise, it would sound much more boring to a modern English reader. And when the priest blesses, the priest will then put out the corners, right, of the garment, of the tleet, and sometimes cover also as they, they bless. They hold their hands like this into the letter sh- shin, which for shalom, for peace. So like, and or they, Shema, right? Well, mostly, mostly for Shalom, because that's the last word cool. of the blessing. And then they hold the talit up, and, and then you're it under drapes the over their face. Yeah. You're not looking at them. And then you're kind of spread, you're under, you're being spread, they are, right? Yeah. They're under the wings of God. Okay, so here's just a couple of quick notes. Like, how are these garments? Is this the first thing that Israel ever gets? Did any other people have this? Well, in the ancient Near East, we found uh, rare visual evidence for males' outerwear, um, where we have this beautiful place where it shows Yehu, the Israelite king, bowing down and wearing a fringed outer garment. So this is 858 to 824 BCE. So how far back did this garment date? And, well, we've got some... I think from the copy that you copied, yeah. it looks like it was by from 1920. 1920, yeah. Yeah, it had a girdle with tassels. I think right, it, was it was all a, set. I know. Um, from the tomb of Seti in Egypt, the Book of Gates, we have like this uh, hieroglyph that talks about the four races of mankind. And as you kind of zoom in, uh, one of the races is given fringes, tassels, seat, seat on the edge of that garment. So the ancient Near Eastern, how does this work in the ancient Near East? The hem was ornate in comparison with the rest of the outer robe. So it's the fanciest part, kind of like 
a blossom, right? And the more important the individual, the more elaborate the embroidery of its hem. And its significance lies not in its artistry, but in its symbolism as an extension of its owner's person and authority. So there's an Akkadian phrase, to cut off the hem, right? So an uh, exorcist pronounces an incantation over the detached hem of his patient's garment. Or a husband who cuts off the hem of his wife's robe would thereby divorce her in that ancient Near Eastern context. Um, Here we've got a few more depictions in the ancient Near East of tassels or fringes on these garments. And in ancient Mari, a professional prophet or dreamer would enclose with his report to the king a lock of his hair and a piece of the hem. And they served both as his identification and more important, the guarantee that his prediction would come true. These articles gave the king legal control over their owner. Um, Another legal context is the hem is illustrated um, by clay documents on which they would take their hem, their tassel, their corner, and push it into the clay document and send it sort of like their signature. So when God tells the Israelites, take this part of your tassel, your garment, your corner, and do this with them, he's speaking language of culture. But as we're going to see, part of what he's going to be telling his people is that they have an important role um, as they're going to go into this next world. We also have this Hellenistic statue of a man with a cloak wearing a tassel right in the middle about circa 2nd century to 1st century BCE. Now, Ari talked about also commanded in this portion for Numbers 15 is that part one string is going to be tehelet, which we're sort of translating maybe indigo or violet blue or purple. And he mentioned that that dye is possibly extracted from this snail. We have found um, archaeologically throughout uh, Greece and then pushing down into the Levant for um, modern-day Israel as well, big piles of these snail carcasses um, in different archaeological portions that show how they were using this dye. And it has been shown that about 12,000 snails yield only 1.4 grams of dye, which means it's readily understood then why only royalty can afford this, and hence the term royal purple or blue. By the way, it's called royal purple and royal blue because the older it gets, it changes from blue to purple. So if you'll remember, those of you familiar with the book of Acts, if you have a friend named Lydia, right? Um, Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth. She was part of this industry in Thyatira from Acts chapter 16. Now, uh, just one other fun note. Just recently, about maybe five years ago, they found a 2,000-year-old dyed fabric with this dye in it um, in the caves just about 18 kilometers south of Qumran on the shore of the Dead Sea. Um, And it's this wool fabric artifact that's apparently dyed with this snail. And then after the dye is there, it's exposed to sunlight or heat and achieves this particular color blue. This has deep symbolism then for the Israelites. As God gives them this command, then he's not just saying, wear this interesting tassel. He's saying, you are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All, it's like, sort of like the grand democratization of Israel. Not everyone's going to get to be a king, but everyone gets a piece of this color. That you are, as God says in Exodus 19, you are to be a royal people. All of you, not only the king and not only the priest are going to, not only those of the line of Aaron get to have this. All of Israel is going to be commanded to go into the land and be set apart, not just for God, but so that the world would know that there's a God in Israel, 
right? We're walking by. Today, I guarantee you, if you're walking by and you see somebody here in Palo Alto, right, wearing talit, you'll probably look. That's not the most common thing you've ever seen. Maybe in Palo Alto, it's more common, but, um, but not throughout, right? If you're, so it stops you. And if you are then the nations, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, and you're waiting, and here come this people group into the land. Why are they doing this? What are, who is this? Why do they live this way? What is their calling? Why are they distinct? Well, as part of God's teaching then, as God pushes through into this passage, God's going to give three specific commands regarding the tzitzit. You're supposed to look at them and remember and do. This tzitzit will come into your biblical story. Some of you can maybe hopefully already start making connections. It comes into the story of Ruth and Boaz. Do you remember Ruth is lying at Boaz's feet, her kinsman redeemer? And she says, spread the corner, the wing of your garment over me. That's not, I'm chilly. It's take the tzitzit, the picture of all of God's commands and put them over me. Boaz, you're supposed to be my kinsman redeemer. Obey God. Look at your corner. Look at your tzitzit and put your wing over me. And that's part of that Ruth. But she's, she's very wise in what she's asking. She's not asking for just, you know, it's cold. Let's hang out, right? She's saying, I, and she is a foreigner. And she can recognize in him his own desire and in his own people, his own faith to obey God. And he does. He obeys God. We have another story. Ari likes this picture. I want to say one other thing about Ruth. Please. Uh, So if somebody is with somebody else and they're both in bed and one says, will you take some of your clothes and put them over me? Then it is as suggestive as it sounds. Now, the question was, was Ruth a person of low morals or high morals? And the rabbis debate this. I always debate everything. And I told them we do it for sport. But the thing is, in this case, she could have been offering herself up for him to take her as his wife that that night. No caterer, no florist, no nothing. And, And so that would be fine. She said, if that's what you want, Take me any way you want to. Or you can follow the whole rigmarole of all the commandments that you're spreading over me. And so she was both of high morals and of high enough morals to get the job done of keeping her ex-husband's name alive through marrying his kinsman. And we don't do that anymore in this uh, culture in which we live. But that was what they did, and she offered herself up to do it. Nice. And trusted he would under get, he would get the message. Even though somebody, somebody will say, when she says, put your wing over me, it doesn't say there's a seat seat attached. But then again, you'd have to know that. Right. You don't have to specify that there are marshmallows in Rocky Road ice cream. If you just say, I ate, you know, right. Rocky Road ice cream. And the marshmallows are really good. And the only people don't say, well, where'd you get the marshmallows? They know it's in the Rocky Road. Anyway, so these kind of things you can figure out for yourself. Well, and, and this is why... For those of you who are like, why are they spending so much time on Numbers 15? Um, this is probably unusual for most churches if you've ever been to before. They don't stop and do an entire thing just on Numbers 15. Because you have long-speaking rabbis. Invited. <laughs> but it's because it is assumed in your text that you know it. And we want you to know when you read your text where you should read it. 
because I love that example, right? You don't have to say there's marshmallows in Rocky Road ice cream. So another place where it's assumed is in this really funny, weird story with David and King Saul. Uh, Saul is chasing after David, but he has to relieve himself. So he goes into the cave and turns out David's hiding in that cave. So now how many things that are wrong can you see? In yeah, we were picture? joking about how many things are wrong with this picture. Um, so many things, right? Uh, the newspaper for one, right? Uh, all these problems. So the other people in the cave, all these things. So what happens is while Saul is there uh, relieving himself, David sneaks up and cuts off the corner of his garment. And afterwards, then they have this sort of weird conversation where David, he lets Saul go. And, and then as Saul's across, he's like, Hey, Saul, look what I have. And he shows him that seat seat, the corner of his garment. And the it head, doesn't say seat seat. It again. doesn't. It's one of those marshmallows. Corner, right? It's right. a marshmallow. It's assumed, right? right? But why do they all, why the corner? Why not something else, right? Why not take something else? And why does Saul immediately go, uh-oh, I'm not the king anymore? David feels remorse. Well, because God didn't order David to say to Saul, hey, you're not obeying God. You don't need this anyway. Let me take it from you. And Saul knows immediately, just like we were talking about how it works in that ancient Near Eastern context, uh uh-oh, the kingdom is being taken from me. Like God is allowing this to happen. So it's another place where we we can read it into the story because we know the garments that they're wearing. Malachi 4.2 is another place where this shows up, right? But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Part of this interesting prophecy. And one more place we want to, it's going to come into our story in a minute. Zechariah 8.23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem, the kanaf, the wing, the corner of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. I can only really take eight at a time. That's right. One of them things <laughs> it's only, right. But you've got four corners. I do. I know, but it says per corner. I know. That's so amazing. That's a lot of people. One um, Jew. Yep. Yeah. We're going to all have to follow you all around. By the way, I should just say, so that the eight corners by, there are four corners and they each have uh, eight strings on them. And it's customary for brides and grooms to give a talit as a wedding gift. Because of that, and I'm sure you're going, and the answer is that the 32 in Hebrew letters is lamed bet, which is the word heart, lev. So it says if you're giving your heart, if you give it to lead, because of the eight strings multiplied by four corners. <laughs> four and, and, and you're good at math. I think we've just said the most math we've ever had inside of any sermon here at Spark before. But actually, I mean, I think you should understand that in, in Jesus' day, if you wanted to learn math, you taught it in light of Torah. Right? What are, you know, four fathers plus three mothers, or what's A plus B equals C? Like, but there's numerical values for each of the Hebrew letters, and so you're learning it in light of God's economy, of how, in light of God's world and how it works. Actually, it's four mothers and three fathers. Right, four mothers. That's right. <laughs> four mothers, three fathers. Thank you. We'll edit that out of the podcast. Okay. Um, so now let's ask this question. Why does this command show up here in Numbers 15? Why isn't this back in Leviticus or back in Exodus when they're at Mount Sinai? Why here? Well, what did we study last week? Anybody? Yeah, last week we talked about the spies, the scouts, and how they went out, right? And what happened when they were there? Go ahead, Ari. What? 
Oh, they went scouting after their own eyes, and they saw what they wanted to see and scared themselves witless and came back and caused everybody in the whole community to be as scared witless as they were. And they said, we can't do it. God, we can't do it. And God said, you know what? You're so right, and you won't. And that was the essence of last week's story. So we ended the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now, though, right after a Sabbath breaker is put to death, Right after there's been this breaking of this command and this looking on other things, God's like, you know what? Maybe you need a visual aid. Maybe you need something that you could wear every single day that will remind you that you can look upon, remember, and do the thing that I've commanded you to do. And I don't know if you can see the wordplay that's, ha- that's happening here, but and Ari can speak to this much better. But in scouting... You want to, do you want to grab this, Ari? Are you? Well, you're doing pretty good. Well, we could just read it, right? I mean, in, as they look. The word look, for scout right? is to tour. And it says, Lo taturu achore enechem. Don't go touring after your eyes. I share zanua, which, which you followed whoring after. So it's pretty bad condemnation. Basically, if you just go looking at your own eyes, you're going to go after the lowest common morality you can possibly get your hands on. And that's what you're going to do. Or your lowest common level of bravery. Or whatever you should be doing, you'll be at the lowest level of it if you only go touring after your eyes. And one of the things we try to talk about is, why is the command, why is the thing that we say, and the, the prayer that you find that Jesus emphasizes, hear Israel, Adonai, our God, Adonai one. Why is it here and not see? Right. Because see Israel is said seven times in Deuteronomy, and hear Israel is only said five. So why do we focus on the hearing and not the seeing? Because when you look at the world, you say, how can everything come from one source if it all looks so different? But when you listen, you can hear that it all has one soul, Hmm. and then it's not so hard to figure out that it could have come from one soul. So Hmm. seeing will lead us astray. Hearing will have us hear the oneness of all intellect and soul. Well, and, and to our story last week, then, when they go there, they see things that freak them out, right? And they're like, uh-oh, we seemed as grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. But they don't ever talk about what God said to them to do, or right? No, they just talk about what they saw. But what if instead, after this commandment, they start to look and remember and do, so when they see the tzitzit, they go, ah, oh, God's commands. And then they remember. And the word in Hebrew for remember, zahar, has this connotation of think upon it and do it, right? It's, it's an action verb. Like oftentimes God is remembering Israel. He's not sitting there going, oh, yeah, I just forgot about Israel down there, right? Instead, it's like God remembers them and God acts. It's not about forgetting and remembering. So it's when I look, I see them. So my eyes can go there instead of to the challenge, right? I can still go back to what God commanded and they can remember God's faithfulness. Wait, is God the kind of God that can take over, that can help go with us into the land? Yeah. He's the kind of God that can part the Red Sea. I remember that. I remember God being a God of deliverance and now I can do the thing that God's asking me to do. So last two little questions and little cherry on top. One thing, Luke chapter eight, verses 42 through 48. Do you remember this story? Jesus is walking through Capernaum and everyone's pressing against him. And then he stops. And he's like, wait, who touched me? And Peter says, rabbi, 
Everybody is touching you. What do you mean who touched me? He's like, no, I, I felt power go out of me. And then this woman comes forward and she tells why she touched him and how she'd been instantly healed, that she has this issue of blood. She looks, she remembers, and she does. What is she maybe remembering? That verse from Malachi, when the son of righteousness comes, there'll be healing in the seat seat. Can she reach and grab that edge, that hem, that garment? And because of Jesus's fullness and obedience to all of God's commands, he would be wearing this garment. He would be wearing seat seat. And for years I've said, Nari and I've talked about this quite a bit. If you ever see a picture of Jesus, and again, it's debatable whether or not we should have those. Um, I, we like this one because you can't see his head at all. Um, but if you see one and he's not wearing tzitzi, then we've painted a picture of him as a sinner. Because he's not obeying God's commands. And your theology and mine is that Jesus obeys all of God's commands perfectly. And he lives his life as a first century Torah observant Jew, so he'd be wearing tzitzit. Now, the only thing that is not necessarily true about the tzitzit, about the talit that's on Jesus in this picture, is that we don't know. Right. This stuff is all decoration. This is to make the corner stronger so that the strings don't pull out. So there probably would be some kind of something there, but whether it would be in color or just the same color as the cloth, and the cloth might not be any different color since he was not a rich man, uh, it might not be any color, other right. color than the, the color of the wool itself. So in that case, it might have just all been brown. Right. Um, there are other passages that talk about Jesus with tzitzit. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verses 35 through 36. After the people of that place recognized him, they sent word throughout the region and brought all who were sick to him and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. I Have wish we- that would work. Wouldn't that, we would be, you'd have to say, you know, somebody oh, touched man. me. I would give up <laughs> Everybody, my day job. Right, right. We'd just walk you up and down Stanford Hospital. That would That's be amazing. Right. Right? Uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 55 through 56. Again, the same story. Wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe, the tzitzit of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Are these stories starting to make a little more sense now, right? We've, we've maybe, if you've not had this information before, this information is starting to fill in why this is important, not just in the Hebrew scriptures, but also in our New Testament. So we talk about this. What does this mean for us today? We've given you a lot of fun and interesting information about tzitzit. As we think about looking and remembering and doing it is easy today for me to get distracted in my world, right? It's easy for me to look at the news, to look at a social media feed, to get stuck um, in circumstances within my own household, uh, in all those places, and to forget. And so I've often asked God to give me a big giant neon sign. And when I was a kid, I think I mentioned this before, I would try to you know, create some contraption that would hang directly in front of my face that I could look at all day. That would be a neon sign. Sometimes kids could be neon signs just right in front of you, reminding you exactly what to look and to do. Um, as that neon, the, the reason why that image worked for me was always that it was something I could look at to remember, right? So the seat seats serve as reminders to Israel of all of God's commands. 
Um, Indeed, the purpose of all ritual is by means of sensual experience. It's to look, to lead to conviction, to remember, and to finally to action do that. The rabbis say sight leads to memory and memory to action. That maybe the tzitzi are neon signs. And I don't know what that is for us. We here, most of us, I'm presuming, not all, are Gentile and not Jewish. So we're not going to go and start purchasing our own tallit and wearing our own tzitzit all around town. You can get it on Amazon, though. You, you can. <laughs> right. No, no, there, there are Christian tzitzit. You can either get the kind that just snap onto your belt loops, or you can get the whole thing that's got a special blessing on it. Yes. I am not comfortable with that. (laughs) Um, I don't want to appropriate a deeply meaningful ritual and tradition for modern Jewish people as well as ancient. Um, And I'm part of the Abrahamic promise where the Gentiles come in. I'm the Gentile you want, so let me come on in. But I do want something. I want the meaning of this. Like, I think God knows me as an individual, and God knows I need something to look on, and I need something that can help me to remember and then to do. So our question for you, and I was telling Ari today as we were preparing, like, I have mostly questions and very, very few answers. What is your tzitzit? What's going to work for you, Christian follower of Jesus, that's going to remind you and me all day long not just to follow God, but that's something we can look upon or, or touch or that's something that will remind us of God's faithfulness to us to take our eyes off the giants and to remember what God's been doing to recall it so we can look at it and remember and then do it. What is it that that, that could be for you? Not just this week, but in the weeks to come. What is it? God knows we need this. What is it that can pull our eyes off the fortified cities and the giants and pull us back? You like the lights? Lights. Okay, go. Well, I mean, we're supposed to be a light to the nations. That's right. So that every time we see the light, we should just take it to heart. Does that work with Jesus' teachings, anybody? All y'all are the light of the world? Yeah, you are a city on a hill? When you said that you wanted to get past the giants, I thought you were talking about they're losing something. (laughs) (laughs) There are giants in the land, yeah. That's right. (laughs) Just don't look at it. Just don't look at it. Don't let your eyes go whoring after it. It's not going to go. Ari, is there anything else you wanted to add or or other thoughts before we close out our time? Don't look at the A's either. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and I wouldn't look at the Niners. No, uh, I'm going to say something that's kind of strange. And, and uh, maybe it's jarring, too. The word memory is also the word for a male, M-A-L-E, a man. And so because names and males and, right, and all that went along in a patriarchal society. But basically, if you take all the words that can mean something that are more hurtful and turn them into something that means something else, what it basically means is if it say you would have said man up, but what you'd say now is, look, if you remember, then, you, then be the person you're supposed to be. We have that word in Yiddish, which, a mensch, which just means a good person. Anybody could be a mensch. A, a little kid as well as a, a woman. It doesn't matter what gender or age you are. If you're the right kind of person doing a good thing, you're a mensch. The same situation here is to be a mensch. So if you remember, you've got to remember that it's calling you to be a mensch. Mm-hmm. Nice. To do what you have to do and stand yeah. up in that situation. So take your eyes off the social media feed. Maybe shut down the news for a little bit. And take a look and focus on the thing that's going to help you to remember and to do. 
Amen? Amen. Ari, thank you so much. Everyone, you give a spark. Thank you to Ari for coming and teaching us. Thank you so much. And if you want to come up and look at certain things and handle them, feel come on up.